Welcome to another edition of Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. And today's show will be talking about the life of an agent. The, uh, the guest we have today is Lonnie Nichols. Now, usually, of course, we do the early hits, things like that. But today, he's got a lot of information he wants to give us. A lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of just uh, talk about being the life of an agent. And I want, you know, want to, want to skip the the early hits this time to get you all to that information. So next show, I promise you, I got you on the early hits. But this show, I want to get into all the agent talk with Mr. Lonnie Nichols. Thank you all again for tuning in. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Be right back. Again, next person you hear would be me talking with Mr. Lonnie Nichols, NFL football agent. This witty. Welcome back to Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. Of course, uh, you know, the NFL season is getting ready to kick off. But, you know, there's the NFL and sports, and there's the NFL off the field. You know, the game that goes on off the field. You know, the contract game. And, you know, you see some living lavishly and getting deals, you know, way before the time's up on their deals, majority of players, you know, going to the – they're finding you the contract in the field with the feeling of the unknown. And of course, as an agent, you know, of course, you always, you know, want to – I'm not an agent. I'm just saying, you know, an agent, you want, always wonder how the agent is performing behind the scenes, what's going on, things like that. So I figured, you know, since I'm not an agent, I'd reach out to an agent. So uh, welcome to the show, NFL agent Lonnie Nichols. What's going on, man? Nothing much, Mike, man. I appreciate you having me on. How's everything on your end? Doing well. I'm, I'm glad it's not like last week in uh, Nashville and raining all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely understand that. We're hot and dry right now in Oklahoma City, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. It's one place I've never been, but I, I, I want to go because I want to see uh, a few different things out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's growing, man. It, it's growing. Uh, you know, I remember the days when it was uh, – it wasn't nothing to see, wasn't anything to see here. Uh, and it's certainly grown over the last 10 years or so. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to know, how did you get interested in the agent game? So, uh, I mean, like most of us, right? I mean, I grew up loving sports, man. I mean, I, I was a diehard sports kid. Uh, wanted to be in the NBA, wanted to be in the NFL. Um, 
I was a real smart kid and was really good in school, but you couldn't tell me that wasn't going to be an NBA or NFL player. But, uh, you know, high school came along, man, and it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. Um, man, it got, I guess it kind of got started, man, is just my interest in the business of sports is from a young age, man. I mean, I've watched every NFL and NBA draft since I was like eight years old. Like, I haven't missed one. Um, you know, I remember when, like, the, like when Drew Bledsoe got drafted, you know, that was like the first NFL draft I kind of looked at as a kid. And I remember when Shaq and, uh, and Chris Webber got drafted, you know, and that was kind of like the first NBA draft I kind of, re- I kind of recall. And so, uh, I was always having an interest, man, going back and forth with my dad about, you know, NBA free agency. I mean, I grew up a diehard Bulls fan. He was a Knicks fan because he was from New York. And um, and was just always just paying attention to transactions and free agency and all that stuff. But I had no idea it was going to be agent. I didn't even know really what, what an agent was, really. Um, and then just kind of growing up, man, and, you know, went to college at the University of Oklahoma uh, and graduated from there in 2006. And then 2009, man, I was lucky enough to join Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, and that's kind of where the, like the love of the business side of sports really developed. And so I worked in business operations. Uh, when I worked there, I did that from 2009, 2017, uh, while I was working there. So I I went back to school to get my master's in 2013. So to get my MBA graduated in 2015. Uh, with that and, and that at that point, that was when I was like, okay, I got this big fancy degree. What do I want to do with it? And up to that point, especially between like 2009 through 2015, so those first six years with the Thunder, man, I just really wanted to be like kind of in the room where it happened. You know what I'm saying? Like the Crow Helms and like I just I wanted to be, you know, where deals were being made and things of that nature. Uh, but I never really just thought about being an agent, man. I always, when I thought about it, I thought about being on the team side of like a GM or something like that. Never really thought about being on the agent side, uh, really heavy, but I did flirt with a little bit in my brain. And so what really kind of lit the match was, there was a couple things. A, um, around that time, maybe, maybe a few months or a year before something like that, that ESPN 30 for 30 special broke came out and it was talking about how how many athletes, you know, went broke, you know, going through their professional careers. Uh, that really resonated with me uh, just as a black male, knowing that we populate most of the NFL and NBA. And there's no reason why you make that amount of money and come out on the end broke. There's obviously something wrong with uh, that system in play. Uh, and uh, in addition in addition to that, work for the Thunder, and I got to see, I don't want to say a front row seat because I worked in business operations, not 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 on the not on the operations uh, in terms of like scouting and front office side, but on the business operations side. So it's not like I knew the age thing like that. But when you work for a team, you get to see kind of things close up and act. So I saw, you know, you would see Russ's agent, you know, out and about, you know, around the arena. You would see Katie's representation. And they had really good, healthy representation. It was just really cool to look at. So looking at that from that perspective, um, 
I was like, man, I would be, I would really like to look into doing that. And so uh, as I was entering in like my last few months trying to figure out what I want to do with this big degree, I really, really just kind of honed in on what it would be to be an agent, did the research and, and things of that nature. Uh, and I don't know about you or well, anyone that's listening out there, but you know, you have these ideas, right? Things that you want to do, passions, that possible passion that you want to pursue. And, you know, usually if you think about it long enough, there are a few days, it kind of goes away. You're like, okay, I guess I didn't really want to do that. Uh, well, the agent thing never left. It stayed. It stayed. It stayed for months. It never deserted. I, I, I thought about it heavy. And it, it got to a point where, like, man, I really got to do this. Like, I really got to look into it. But we're still unsure if I had kind of the, you know, the ability to complete it. So uh, I was on uh, social media one day and uh, came across this by just by accident a, uh, a seminar being held down in Houston, an agent seminar, and it would be held held uh, held by Lee Steinberg. Uh, for anyone listening, Lee Steinberg is widely regarded as one of, if not the best agent ever, at least definitely in the football space. Uh, he's represented Warren Moon, Steve Young, Troy Aikman. I mean, he's literally had Super Bowls where uh, he's had, he was the agent for both the quarterbacks facing off against each other. So this is like GOAT status. Uh, he's also Patrick Mahomes' agent right now. Um, and so I was like, all right. And, and, and when I saw it, the actual seminar, the actual event was like two weeks away. And I'm not really a spontaneous person. Like I'm the type of person, like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to attend something, especially if I'm going to fly out of town for it. You know, I like to think about it and mull over it and give it some time. But literally it was like a last call. The event was two weeks away. And I kid you not that from the time that I saw that event to the time that I booked the tickets to the event, as well as a plane ticket, probably no more than, you know, 20, 30 minutes had passed because basically in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go down here and determine if this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. Like no more flirting with it or playing with it. Like I, I just, I want to be a part of the movement and part of the part of change in terms of being uh, a really good steward of this industry. So I'm going to go down there and see if I got what it takes. So I go down there, fly down to Houston, and man, I loved it. I mean, it was, I don't really like sitting in a, clo- a closed room uh, for an entire day, but man, I was just, I was just wide awake. I was just, I was so interested in what they were talking about. And as I was leaving, so it wasn't just Lee Steinberg that was there. Like Lee Steinberg was like the name and he kind of, you know, he did a little part, but the meat of it was actually, of the seminar was actually taught by Chris Cabot, who's his number. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say number two, so I don't want to misrepresent because Chris Cabot is definitely a, a stature, an agent stature of his on his own. But he, you know, he, he's like the guy that's kind of running things uh, for Steinberg. And um, and so as I was leaving and Lee was signing everyone, like Lee gave everyone a hand, a, a copy of a book and was signing everyone's book, taking pictures. You know, I got my signed book and I just wanted to shake Chris's hand, thank him for, you know, letting his expertise and knowledge. And there was like a big group of people around him and I couldn't get to him. And so I'm like, man, I kind of got to catch a flight. You know, it was time, it was getting close time for the, for the takeoff of the airport. And I think Chris kind of saw that I was about to leave. And Chris was like, hey, Lonnie, before you go, 
uh, I want to talk to you. So just give me a f- give me a few minutes. And so everyone was like trying to get his attention, and and that was the, the big crowd around him. And like while I was honored that uh, he wanted to talk to me, stay. I'm like, man, I really got to get to the airport. Uh, but I waited, man, because this is a once in a lifetime. I mean, when an agent says they want to speak to you, you know, you wait. So. I waited, and long story short, man, when he finally got to me after he cleared everybody out, I was like, Lonnie, man, I, I just wanted to tell you that out of everybody in this room, uh, you're the only, you're like, you're the only one I think that could really do this. I mean, I don't mean like just do it. I mean, really be good at it, be successful. Uh, so I think you should really look at this as an option, and that was all I needed to hear. Uh, and so uh, that was when I set my sights towards being an agent. So that was a, that was the summer of 2015 uh and the way you go about certification the nfpa opens up the application process every year in the month of january uh so january of 2016 i put my application in uh and then the test is held annually uh, in july so i took the test in july of 2016 and uh was lucky enough to pass uh, and then uh been an agent ever since, man. And uh, to kind of wrap up the question, you know, those are those are what those are kind of the series of events that got me to where to becoming an agent. But going back to that thirty for thirty special, uh, that that kind of triggered everything going forward this way. Uh, you know, I basically have two pillars that I tell recruits or anyone that I'm talking to about the agent or why I became an agent. I have two pillars, man. The first pillar of why I want to become an agent and speak to that 30 for 30 special. It's not that like there's a bunch of agents and none of them care about players and yada, 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 and the players going broke. It, that, that's kind of a, a stereotype that does have a, a little bit of truth in it, but it's kind of over exaggerated to an extent. I mean, a lot of these young men do have to make choices as they, be, as they get older. And, and so there is some personal responsibility there, but, um, with that said, I, I do think that there is a level of not only care, but professionalism and uh, as well as some sense of value to the culture that is not heavily represented in being an agent. And what I mean by that is, is caring about your clients. And I hate using the word client because when I take on a guy, he's not just a client to me. He's a, he's, he's, he's truly someone that I truly value and care for regardless of how long he plays the game of football. Um, but not every agent thinks that way. Every agent will say that like that is a key word because they know that's what needs to be said to family. That's what needs to be said to the players, what they want to hear, but their actions say otherwise. Uh, to me, if a guy doesn't ever play it down in the NFL, I'm still going to be involved with him as much as I can to make sure that I can get him to transition into life after football uh and and make sure i'm there to help them carry them stuff because if you could imagine any player that has any type of worthiness to be considered um for the nfl draft right any player that is whether they make it or not whether they ever get opportunity or snip one you have to be a certain level of good right and 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 to make it to d1 football most likely the guy's a starter most likely the guys contributed, you know, for four years. Um, and they um, I did with this sport, like that is their entire identity, many of them. 
And that is a hard separation when the game no longer is something that you can continue to play. And so whether that event happens, you know, before it ever gets started or happens 12 years after playing in the NFL, their transition is still something that is, you know, I was speaking with a guy the other day uh, who was talking about that transition to life football and he made it sound really easy. And I was like, man, I know it wasn't that easy. He's like, Lonnie, it wasn't. I make it sound easy because I, you know, I, I don't feel like saying everything, but it really wasn't that easy. It's a transition. So I really care about that process. And so that's kind of pillar one is caring about these guys. And at some point, um, women as well as I at some point venture into representing uh, women athletes, but getting them to see the value of themselves beyond the sport that they play and, I, and not just as a dollar figure, not just as an athlete, not just what they can do on the field, not just what they can put in my pockets. It's, it's way more special beyond that so that's kind of pillar one is making sure i take a a guy from college through his professional career all the way through to the to life after football and successful at that point pillar two man goes back to my time at the thunder and uh, you know for people who don't know like i said earlier every team has two different segments man they have the business side and you have the operation side and we speak a lot about the diversity issues on the di- on the operation side. So the coaching staff, the front office, those are well documented and very, very uh, uh, appropriately so. Uh, but what a lot of people do not realize or think about is on the business side, it is just as bad, if not worse. Uh, during my time with the Thunder, there was not a lot of representation uh, from a diversity standpoint. Uh, and just that you can take that and just multiply that across sports in any t- segment media front offices agents etc financial advisors etc so the second pillar is man is get to a place where my beacon shines so so bright that i can swing the door door open get as many people of color especially black people uh through that door because especially the two the the, the two sports that i'm most interested in i only participate as an agent in one of them but football and basketball we represent too much of the of the workforce that people pay their money to see, not to be part of the decision making process, whether it be from representation or business operations or front offices or coaching. So, way long answer, but that's uh, that's kind of what drove me to become an agent, man. And then kind of the value system there. Gotcha, gotcha. And definitely yeah. uh, very good values and uh, definitely some yeah. very good points that led you to where you are now. Right, um, <clears throat> like you mentioned. Uh, before you became an agent, an NFL agent, you actually worked for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Can you tell us how it was being around that team just in general? At that time? Man, it was... Just thinking about it, it was like 2009, 2017. That means KD was there. That means Durant was there. Harden was there too, correct? Yep, yep. Harden here was my first year. Harden's okay. first year was my first year. So, man, I, I, words, it, it's hard to explain in words, but the, the short answer is, man, it was amazing. Uh, and one of the best examples I can give in terms of, of kind of the the ride or the amazing ride that it was, was so the team landed in Oklahoma City in 2008. Um I didn't join the Thunder until 2009. So the team had been here a whole season, a whole year by the time I joined the team. Uh, even after that year, 
and it's terrible. They were, I want to say they were like 26 and uh, what is that? 26 and 56, what, whatever that breaks out. Is that? Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, very terrible team that, that, that first year. Um, but nevertheless, it's, the thing about Oklahoma City, the, the city, the metropolitan area is that it is a city that for my entire life, and I'm 37, it has been trying to build itself as a respectable metropolis all the, of the likes of the Dallas's, the Houston's, Atlanta's. The, you know, obviously it, it, has a, it still has a ways to go to be looked at at that level. But Oklahoma City views itself or wants to view itself as this major metropolitan center in the United States. And one of the bi- most the biggest thing you can do, if maybe if, if not the most notable thing you can do as a metropolitan area is have a professional franchise. And so it was a it was a thing that the city itself has spent well over a decade trying to get to this moment where they had a professional franchise to call their own, not minor league, not a temporary franchise like the Hornets were for the two years they were here. A franchise that was truly their own. So finally, the team's here, like I said, it's been here for a year. And I joined and I started, the department I worked in was the sales. So we did the we did everything from like your packages to your to your season tickets. I would end up becoming premium, so I was over the core side and suites areas, so making sure that the, the high value areas were had partnerships and, and clients and companies aligned with those. Uh, but when I first started, man, we would call people, reach out to people, speak to people that had no idea who we were. Now it don't matter if you're not a sports fan; it's okay, you know. But even if you're not a sports, chances are you probably watch the news. And the news did nothing but talk about the Thunder for every day of that year. How is it that you did not know there was a professional basketball franchise <laughs> uh, in Oklahoma City? That's how, that's how it started. Um, and then obviously my first year, so the Thunder second year, my first year, that was the year that they ended up taking the Lakers, giving the Lakers everything they wanted. That was Kobe, that was Paul Gasol. Uh, that was that team that ended up winning the championship that year. Uh, the Thunder gave them everything they wanted in that first round. And that was when it put the city on notice. After that year, uh, there was there was no one in this state who didn't know who we were at that point. And that's when, you know, the Loud City moniker or the Loud City, you know, reputation really took off, especially during that Lakers series. Uh, And to see it go from reaching out to people who not knowing who we were, even though the team had been here for a year and it was a really, really huge news event, really, really huge, like city pride type thing to go from that to uh, where you couldn't get a ticket to the building for years or unless you paid a lot of money off the second, the secondhand market. Uh, it was an amazing ride, man, because you got to see a, a young bunch of guys uh, and a lot of us in business operation, man, we were young too. I mean, I was 25 at the time. A lot of people were either my age or a little bit younger. So we were young professionals. Um, and after games, man, we would go to a place called Mickey Mantles, which is a downtown steakhouse. 
and the players would go there as well, but they would go into like a little private room. And you see these guys, man, they're super young. Like I remember Russ being like just a kid, you know, Kevin being a kid. I remember James Harden, like not even able to drink because he wouldn't even have drinking age yet, you know, and, and now these dudes are grown men. Like, not like they're not just like grown, like they're like grown, grown. These are, these are kind of old heads now, but I remember when they were just kids, and that ride, man, is just spectacular, man. Especially going to the finals in 2012, that was spectacular. And as, as an Oklahoma City native, man, that was just a really big moment, man. I mean, if you guys remember, like, NBA Live, I know 2K is a thing now, but back in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, NBA Live was the basketball game. And I used to create a franchise and put in Oklahoma City, man, because, you you know, as much as I love the Bulls, as much as I was a diehard Bulls fan, you know, I, I loved Oklahoma City. And so to be able to work for a team in my hometown, man, was spectacular, man. So I, I, it was amazing. It was a spectacular ride to see things behind the scenes, uh, how things work. Uh, Sam Presti, the general manager, man, we were lucky lucky to have him uh, there uh, because he would take time uh, to come speak with us and give us kind of what's going on with the team. So we would get, like, behind the scenes information about what was going on on the team, if there was any transaction trades he made, he'd give us the, the thought process behind that and what he was thinking and why he did it. And, uh, and not every GM does that. GMs don't really like to spend time with the business <laughs> operations team. But he would, man. He would do it at least once a quarter, if not more than that. Uh, and so, yeah, man, it was spectacular to be there. Gotcha. Now, yeah. transitioning to being an agent, um, how yeah. did that experience uh, in the business office for the Thunder, you know, how did that kind of help you transition to being an agent? A lot, man. It, it was a lot. Uh, be, because of my background in sales, like I said, I did sales for the Thunder. But even before that, man, like during, like, during my college years, man, I was, I was a sales manager for Sprint. And then I ended up parlaying that into working for the Thunder. So at, at the age of 37, man, I have uh, about 19 years of sales experience. And I use that every day in many ways, but not in the way that many people think. I think probably probably if someone who hasn't done sales or anything like that, they may be thinking, oh, like cheesy, you're trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do or not, not in that way. A really good salesperson, I mean, a good one, not only from a, a quality standpoint in terms of their ability to sell a product, but from a moral standpoint as well, you know, not pushing something down someone's throat, someone that leaves you with like a, a, a really good feeling that you feel like you bought something that uh, was something of value that you could use, not something that you just bought because you were, you know, you were sold, a, you know, uh, you know, something just wasn't wasn't really, really realistic. Uh, a lot of that means people skills, listening, understanding, uh, you know, trying to predict what this person will like. And so uh, I really honed those skills, those people skills uh, while I was with the Thunder. Now, a lot of it is just me, my personality. Uh, I pay attention to body language. I pay attention to tone of voice is there is, you know kind of like if you're meeting with talking with someone can you sense when maybe you might be annoying them maybe you need to back off a little bit can you read the signals when it's time to leave can you read the signals when it's you can proceed can you, you know 
I, I, I do a lot of that type of thinking in my head, which really been a benefited me in my sales career. Um, and so I, I really honed those from a professional level while I was with Thunder. So when you're sitting, how does that work with as being an agent? Well, multiple ways. So when you're sitting, you're speaking with a prospective client. So you're speaking to a player that you're recruiting. These these guys that you're recruiting, man, they're 21, 22, 23 years old, uh, but they're still people. They're still people with feelings, emotions, uh, interests, motivations, and things of that nature. And I think my background helps from a recruiting standpoint because, especially since my my industry is heavily populated with attorneys who typically don't have that type of background with them. They know law, they know legal, but they're used to kind of sitting in the office and just, you know, the phone rings and then they take the case. Or some many people with law backgrounds never actually, you know, they went straight into representation, never really kind of had any type of law practice. Um, but either way, uh, they never really developed that type of skill set. When you're when you're speaking with a prospective player, you're doing a lot of listening, try to, to pick up little things. You know, what do they like? Uh, one question I love to ask players is like, uh, what made them choose the school that they're at? Uh, because I think you can learn a lot about their decision making process based off how they answer that. And so that helps me with that people skills. So when they be, when they become a client, whether I'm recruiting them or even after the fact they become my client. People skills, serve being being of service to them. Um, there are times where a player may say something, uh, and it's it's and you're he's not going to like what you have to respond with. So how do you respond to that without making uh, them feel like you're not hearing them out? When you're talking with teams, how is your ability to network with the team and, and try to understand their, what they're looking for? There's a lot of people skills involved in all those aspects. In fact, I'll go as far as say as an agent, you can't be successful as an agent unless you have excellent people skills. Now, how you utilize those people skills, if they're for good or if they're for bad, if you're manipulative or not, that, 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 that depends on the person. But at the end of the day, it's still, regardless of that mold, still involves a lot of people skills. And, and so that helped me, that time out the thunder, Help me with all those aspects from recruiting to uh, client management to speaking with teams to et cetera. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, now I got to ask um, what's easier, negotiating rookie deals for drafted players or undrafted players? So, uh, first off, I'll say is that negotiating any type of rookie deal is definitely easier than it was before the 2011 uh, CBA, where you had rookies who would sign these mega deals. Those contracts were just as hard to negotiate as um, any type of veteran contract, because there was a lot of components uh, with that. When they started to, to basically put have salaries slotted for draft picks, that took there's this perception that a lot of the negotiation for draft picks now is is limited and that is true if you compare it to the level of things that you needed to negotiate and 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 work out comparatively to the contract that were done like I said pre-2011 but with that said uh 
a drafted a drafted contract is definitely still more complicated than an undrafted one because as an undrafted player, unless you're one of the very few, uh, you know, top ten percent of the guys who are undrafted who have multiple offers from teams and you can have some wiggle room in terms of trying to find the best deal. 90% of undrafted guys who get signed for the most part have a take it or leave it type deal to them. You can try to do little things like, uh, you know, if they get hundred percent of their bonus paid out, you know, within that first pay paycheck, or if it's going to be divided up in some sort of installment way, you know, you, you can try to try to get them a little bit higher of a signing bonus, but there's really not a lot that you negotiate for an undrafted guy. Because at that point, for like except for 90% of them, you're just trying to get them a team. Uh, and most of those guys have one, two, or three teams that maybe they can sign with. There's 10, the top the top 10%, the guys that could have easily been drafted, you know, usually those guys where you write the article, you see the articles written the next day about, you know, the guys who – should have drafted but weren't those guys yeah they they get to have almost as much negotiation as 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 a drafted player now with that said you also have to look at the rounds first rounders they have a ton they can still negotiate so uh, uh in terms of bonus payout uh what type of language is utilized in the contract uh there are different structures that you utilize in terms of uh, how bonuses are treated, et cetera. There's a lot of things that those done. That's why you still see this. You don't have holdouts anymore for drafted player, but you still see guys not signing, you know, uh, up until like training camp starts, uh, while some guys may sign, you know, at rookie camp. Uh, so, the, so the higher you are, the closer you are to the first round, the more there is to negotiate still. As you work your way towards the draft, through the draft, there's less and less to negotiate, and it becomes more of a just a take it or leave it. So. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, can you take us through the process of how you how a deal comes together for an undrafted free agent? So, uh, going back through draft night. So, you know, obviously the draft is three days. Day one is first first round. Day two is second and third, and then day three is rounds uh, four through seven. Um, as you get to day three, and you start to work your way into like the fifth and sixth rounds teams that are real serious about your guy. They'll start reaching out uh, during the draft and they'll say something to the extent of, Hey Lonnie, man, we're interested in your guy. Uh, probably not going to draft him, but if he makes it through the draft, we are going to want to sign him. So can we start to put the, the, the details of the deal together now? And that way we can get you wrapped up. Uh, and that's that's basically what happens. And so when you're representing a guy like that, you're hoping that you can get at least uh, three or four teams, if not more. And that way you could try to that's why that saying about sometimes it's better to go undrafted than it is to get drafted in seventh round, because if you are part of those that top 10 percent, you can still you can actually a lot of times get a better deal as far as your, you know, you know, guaranteed money bonus amount uh than you would as a seventh rounder uh and the the biggest uh the biggest uh kind of pro is you can direct where your guy goes to try to find the best opportunity for him to make the squad so you could look at the roster you can say okay i feel like this team might be the best fit 
before my guy does, that he can use some help, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so you you hope to have, be in that type of situation so that you can try to work out the best deal. You can try to get as much bonus, signing bonus dollars as you can. You can try to work on getting as much of their contract guaranteed as you can. Uh, and so that's basically how, how we come together. So a lot of those picks, especially uh, when you see the, the tweets going off, immediately after the draft that this guy's going this way you're like how how that happened the draft is ended two minutes ago that's because uh all of those guys were already done basically it was a gentleman's agreement if your guy doesn't go get drafted we want him and if and you'll 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 give that team whatever team you decide to choose like hey listen if my guy doesn't go drafted we're going to you and that's how it happens uh you know obviously a lot of guys a lot of players they want to hear their name called and while they do understand the concept of being able to pick where they go, and, and that's kind of cool, end of the day, I, nine out of ten players are going to tell you that the 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 experience of hearing their name called is still something that they will prefer. And so, and also as a, just as a agent, it's just a little bit more security for you, even if that security is very minimal um, to get a guy drafted compared to being signed up in draft. So, you know. If you know there's multiple teams that have interest, you could try to use that to your advantage. Say, hey, listen, if you want my guy, you better come draft him uh, because we're going to go this direction if he goes undrafted. Uh, so a lot of those things are being done, you know, through text, through phone calls, uh, during those later rounds. And so, uh, uh, yeah, and a lot of, and if you're a fan watching a team and you're like, man, why that team draft that guy or whatever, uh, a lot of times there was a signal that. You know, either A, that team just really, really loved that guy, or B, uh, there was a signal that there was another team or something like that, that they were going to go in that direction. And so if the team really wanted them, you know, they want they needed to take a fire on that guy at the, in the seventh round. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in regards to, uh, let's see, the contracts and things like that, um, you know, I know you talked about the the different uh, signing bonuses and those type of things. Uh, what all the? How do you kind of differentiate the offers with the players you represent? Well, um, first first of all, the thing that is important is one of the first lessons that was taught when I went to that agent seminar with with uh, Lee Steinberg, Chris Cabot, is is having a pulse on what's most important to your player uh in terms of you know everything in, in reference to their career location security career long-term status goals etc um and so when you're trying to you know differentiate between offers a lot of that factors into it right so you know, if we have a couple, you know, two or three different options, you know, one thing things I love to have my players do leading up to the draft is I have them rank all 32 teams. And I have them rank them however they see fit. I give them very little direction. The only direction I give them is if you had to rank these teams in order of who you want to play for, keeping in mind not only who you want to play for, but the system, the city, the market, your your weather preferences, do you want to be in a state that has no income tax? Uh, you know, all of those things. I need you to rank these 32 teams. And I do, I've done that for every player I've ever represented. And so when you have when when you when you have 
that as kind of your foundation. And after they do it, I talk to them about it too. We discuss certain things and we might move things, we might move a couple of things up and down. We might move, you know, we might adjust it, but we have our list. So then when we start to circle through the options in terms of teams that have shown interest, we try to simplify to, to the fact that, okay, now that we've ranked these teams um, and now that we have these offers, how do we, how does it change our list or does it change it at all? Or do we just go by the ranking system? And I just try to simplify for them, man. I mean, a lot of that is just communication leading up to doing the work beforehand so that especially in an undrafted situation, because once again, the 90% of those undrafted players, they don't have the luxury of sitting on sitting on offers and, and waiting it out and waiting for some team. You got to decide because teams aren't waiting for you. If you're the top 10%, you can, you, you, you can, you can play it a little bit, but 90% of those guys need to make a decision. So I try to just make it as clear as, you know, clear to them as possible in terms of what they're looking at and base it off that. Gotcha. You try not to overcomplicate it. End of the day, at the end of the day, the most important thing for an undrafted guy is making the team. All that contract stuff don't matter if you're not on the active roster anyway. So where can we go that best best allows you to make the team? And you put it in terms like that, then it makes the decision pretty easy. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. Now I've got to ask, man, what's your most interesting story uh, that you got since you've been involved being an agent, of course, with a client, you know, maybe a client in the team, perhaps. Um, that's a good question. So I don't know if I have really like truly any interesting, interesting stories. I've most of my experience with teams have been pretty run of the mill. <laughs> uh, nothing that's like, too funny or outlandish or anything like that. I, I guess uh, um, I don't know, man. I think I, I accidentally uh, sent the text to uh, a director of pro scouting that wasn't meant to go to him. It was just <laughs> basically just saying I would like a, a burger order, like a burger. And it was like, what? <laughs> so, uh, it was just something where my thumb hit the wrong, the wrong chat, the wrong conversation in the iMessage screen. I, I, you know, everything's been pretty straightforward in terms of just normal communication with teams, man. I haven't had, you know, you do have your general things that all agents talk about in terms of when you, you know, when you speak with a team, they tell you one thing and it ends up being another, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you do have that. It's very interesting behind the scenes. You know, obviously, I'm still young in the game in terms of my years of experience. I'm five years in, so I'm not like a newbie or anything like that. But, you know, I don't have the the plethora of experience from like 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 a lot of your agents that are that are really the movers and shakers of the industry. I'll be there one day, but I'm not there yet. So I don't have this, this big treasure chest of stories to say. Um, but uh, definitely, probably, <laughs> probably the accidental burger text. <laughs> he was like, "Man, no worries, man." <laughs> so, yeah. Now, uh, what's something interesting that no one think an agent would have to do or go through in terms of being an agent? Be, to become an agent, or just being an agent? Period. Just being an agent in general. So the recruiting, man. The recruiting, and I, I can answer that in so many ways, man. Um, I'm a big fan of college football, huge fan, man. And, and 
And even though you know these guys are young and in college, you kind of forget, man. You watch you guys on TV. They're really, they're really big, really muscular, very talented individuals. You see them do interviews, and you kind of forget how young they are at times because especially those big programs like OU and Alabama and Ohio State, those guys are so used to being the center of attention and getting the media attention that they come across just like you hear the guys playing for the Giants or the Cowboys or the Jaguars or whatever. Like you, 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 you kind of combine them all in one and you forget that these are kids. And so I'm in an industry where, you know, you have to recruit kids to eat. It don't, to be an agent, it don't matter. You could be the best negotiator in the world, like the very best. You, you could, you could, you could be working for the CIA because your negotiation skills are so excellent, but it don't matter if you can't recruit because you won't negotiate anything if for, if you have no clients or nothing, no, no good <laughs> right. clients. Uh, so recruiting is the lifeblood of being an agent. And to recruit, you got to recruit college guys. Uh, and that's interesting. It's always interesting, man, in multiple ways. Um, what you turn, what you come to realize is these guys are people. And I know this is like, duh, everybody's people, but but I really want to humanize them for a second. We see them on TV. They do amazing things every Saturday and they seem like superheroes. And we see the community where they do. We see them, you know, every program is going to showcase on social media when they when they invite, you know, kids who have special needs or whatnot to come and see a practice. We see that side. But you 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 got to remember these are these are still just regular people at the end of the day and just like any people they come in all different type of personality types and and they're also still growing and still maturing so as an agent i have good stories from there was a kid that i i recruited a couple years ago and he was an ibm intern i mean while being a student athlete and i think he was like an engineering major and he was excelling at all of it. Grades were excellent. Football skills were excellent. And this dude was an IBM intern at that. And had a, and if I recall correctly, had a standing offer for employment with IBM after college. Hmm. You know, and this was a big defensive end. You know, not a quarterback, not your center, which I know centers are big, but centers are typically known as brainiacs. This is a D end. Um I've talked with kids who had, you know, engineering majors or finance majors or uh, and they, they really took academics seriously and they just didn't do the easy, you know, general studies just to get through. I've spoken with kids who like they were nervous when they got on the phone with me, like super nervous. I mean, one word answers stuttering and i'm a stutterer so when i talk about us person that stutters i'm only talking about myself as someone who grew up with a major stuttering problem um but just like just like deer in headlights but they go out every saturday and they and they smack the dudes up but you get them <laughs> on the phone and they're like uh man i'm sorry sir you know and, you know it's like <laughs> um but with that said they're still kids. So they do kid things. So one of the most frustrating, frustrating thing as an agent is you, you talk to a kid all year and you have really good rapport with them. I mean, 
calling you, texting you, they calling you big bro and OG and all this stuff. And even though as an agent, you know, you're still recruiting, you know that the job's not done. Uh, you, you thinking you're going to be at least in his final, like cut, like down to his final two or three selections. And, you know, you're not, not, you're not too naive to think that there's not at least one other agent that maybe he has really good rapport with as well. So, you know, you still might lose him. But what it hurts is most of those agent decisions happen in late December, early January. It hurts when you when in November or early December, they just go ghost. Mm. Keep it in mind, these are kids. So their people skills not all the way developed yet. So instead of saying, hey, Lonnie, man, I appreciate, you know, you speak, taking time to speak with me. I'm actually going to, you know, I've narrowed down my choices to this yada 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 but thank you like i would love that i i, I don't expect them to, as as much as you'd want them to call you so that you can try to build some sort of defense or you try to can save him so you can hang around more to continue to recruit him um i know that's a tough conversation you know they don't want to cut you they don't want to like walk away from especially if they like the conversation like you like the conversation but at least with like a text like, hey, man, appreciate it. You know, I might say a little something in response to, to try to, you know, once again, try to stay in the mix. But once a kid tells me, you know, he's moving on, that's it. I respect his wishes. A lot of kids just go ghost. They stop communicating. Uh, when they were real responsive before, they would always respond to your text. They don't respond. They don't respond. And it's always funny when you meet those guys, you see them at an all-star game or something like that, or you see them wherever you see them. And it's like this awkwardness. And I pay attention to people. Like, I don't ever want to rub nobody the wrong way or make somebody feel some type of way. So I'm not like, I'm not petty where I'm going to go up like, hey, man, what's up, man? You remember me? You went ghost, yada, yada, yada. But I also don't want to ignore the kid or anything like that. So it's always just kind of that awkwardness where you're like, do you want to talk to me? Like, <laughs> are we cool? like it's cool, man? Like I'm cool, you cool? Like, and they're like, oh, and then you know, it actually happened this year. And man, me and the dude was we we connected and talked, and it was and in my head all the time. I I just I didn't ask, but I so wanted to say, bro, you see how natural this is? See how natural we're conversating right now? Like this is so natural. What in the world happened? Like why you just disappear on me like that? And now we talking again, like nothing happened. Like, isn't this what you should want? You know, but I didn't, I just, I just kept the conversation. So I think for most people outside looking in, uh, it's, 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 we get to see kids. We get to see, you know, I've heard, you know, I know which, I know what programs have good reputation in terms of college program, have good reputation from the coach staff. I know, you know, some of the people might be looking, some of the favorite programs that players actually hate. Uh, like a consensus amount, you know, coaches that are hated, um, what these players deal with, uh, you know, what they do from a social media standpoint, the hate. I mean, I, I talked to a player last year that would just get killed on social media. I mean, constantly got hate messages and DMs. Um, but also the ups and downs of being an agent. We deal with a lot of disappointment. It's a lot of nervousness. Uh, especially during this time of the year, it's a lot of uneasiness as guys uh, go through the preseason trying to make the roster. Uh, you really are living in the moment of now, and that's for recruiting as well. You, you're 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 happy one day. I mean, I was 
uh, I got eliminated from a very uh, a first round type player for this upcoming draft. Um, talk with the uh, with the parents and the, the highs and lows of uh, of that. And one day you're thinking you're good, you know, not that you're going to earn the business, but that you're going to be able to make it at least to the final list, the final cut. One day you're good, next day they're like, you know, you know, cutting your list down already, and so. <laughs> It's a, it's a very, it's a lot of emotions. It's a lot of ups and downs. And so uh, you have to truly have a, a moral compass or, or pillars to really get through. Because it can be as great as some things it says, like seeing a, one of your clients get, uh, you know, get to experience putting on the NFL colors for the first time. Uh, There's also a lot of downs where, you know, having to pick a guy up because he got, cut or he got where he's getting a workout and he's not being kept he's being sent back home um there's a lot of that stuff uh that that can pull on you as well so gotcha yeah yeah definitely a lot of ins and outs of uh the agent life man yeah uh, you know I, I i thank you again for uh coming on for those that aren't aware this is uh nfl agent lonnie nichols with me tonight um you know, I just want to thank you for your time and uh, kind of breaking down a few things on the other side of the game. Uh, if you want to, you can tell everybody where they can reach you or anything you have going on. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Agent Lonnie Nick. It's just Nichols, but without the OLS. Or you can just search Lonnie Nichols. You'll still find me. Uh, just, man, I'm, uh, as far as the stuff going on, man, just um, busy in recruiting season, so nothing, nothing too eventful. Just uh, doing my my uh, normal thing this time of year, recruiting and watching uh, the guys our agency have go through preseason, man. So that's about it. Gotcha. And uh, yeah. I know you're probably combing them in the them, uh, them, uh, college rosters probably already, right? Yeah, man. You know, I, <laughs> I, I regionalize it quite a bit. So I'm in Oklahoma City, so I pay attention to a lot of Big 12 schools and kind of the schools that fall within that same, uh, same map, geographic map. And so, yeah, man, combing those rosters, looking at – potential fits so yeah well i will say this man hopefully uh you know when uh texas and oklahoma come to the sec you can actually kind of leave a little bit too kind of look at some of those rosters too perhaps oh man i'm oh you alum man so i'm excited you know i'm excited <laughs> oklahoma state friends they're not they, they're not too happy with us OU people but at the end of the day man you gotta those programs gotta look out what's best the best of their interest so i'm i'm happy and looking forward to wrecking shop in sec man so. Oh, so wreck and shot. Okay. Oh, wreck right. and shot, man. Yeah. Oh, use a blue blood, man. You put OU with SEC recruiting and, and SEC colors, and I'm sorry, SEC labels and SEC recruiting, man. We're a different program, man. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. We well, yeah. do have like three guys from uh, University of Tennessee on your team this year. We do. We do. No. We do. So. There you go. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Tennessee fan from way back when I was a kid. So yeah, you know, it, it's definitely been some lean years these last few years. Oh yeah, man, it's been a little while since y'all been able to kind of poke the chest out pretty heavy, man. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's definitely been a minute. Well, again, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on, man. And uh, this has been uh, touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Pat. Appreciate you, Mike. That's Woody.
Thank you all for tuning in for this special edition of Touring the AFC South with NFL agent Lonnie Nichols. I hope you all learned something and uh, were able to, uh, you know, definitely enjoy uh, all the things he was able to break down for us. Uh, again, thank you again for listening. If you like what you heard and want to listen to more, uh, wherever you're listening, whether it be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever that may be, go ahead and subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me that five-star review. Excuse me, that five-star rating and that five-star review. <laughs> Again, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at MikePatton82. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-T-T-O-N 82 on Twitter. Thank you. You all have a great one. We'll be back.